And I'll invite you uh, to turn once again in your copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20 this morning. In our text today, uh, Paul gets personal. He talks, he recounts uh, the time when he first visited the Galatians and their reception of him. When he preached the gospel to them, they received the gospel and the message that Paul preached as if Paul were himself an angel of God or as if he were Christ himself. They embraced the gospel and believed and loved the man who preached the gospel to them. Uh, But things have gone sour between the Apostle Paul and the Galatian believers. Before they were ready to give themselves to the Apostle Paul, to give themselves for the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. And Paul wants to address that antagonism that is between him and uh, the Galatian believers. Uh, The reason for the change was the Galatians were turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And Paul wants them to understand that it is nothing more than another man-made, man-centered message just dressed up in some gospel garments. And so Paul pleads in these verses, he he urges, um, he appeals to, he calls upon the Galatian believers to turn back, to turn back to Jesus Christ. That's the spirit of this passage. Now, before I read it, let's pray and ask for God's blessing as we look to his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your goodness to us in the gospel that you sent forth your one and only son to redeem us that we might receive adoption as sons. We thank you that you sent the Spirit to testify with ours that we are indeed the children of God. We come once again as needy and sinful children, and we thank you that you've made a way for us to come and enjoy the warmth of your embrace through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you take your word now and open it up to us and teach us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Beginning in verse 8 of Galatians 4, let's hear the word of God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, 
but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Well, miners uh, know about the dangers of certain gases gathering within the tunnels of mines. Uh, Carbon monoxide, it can asphyxiate you, and methane gas can explode. And uh, there are many sad stories of uh, that very thing happening. In 1942, a mine in China, there was a methane gas explosion, and I think uh, 1,500 lives were lost. A little closer to home, and more recently, about seven years ago in West Virginia, there was uh, an accident in a mine, and uh, close to 30 lives were, were lost in that explosion. Uh, in earlier years of mining, and I'm sure some of you know a lot more about this than I do, uh, a low-tech but effective uh, early warning system was developed. Uh, canaries. And you know that miners would take these canaries into the mines with them because the canary was especially sensitive to the air conditions. So... Well, you have these little canaries who uh, are happy creatures and given to chirping and singing. And so long as that canary is chirping and singing, then the air conditions are okay. But then if the chirping stopped or the little bird was wobbling on its perch or fell off of its perch, then the miners knew that they were in danger. Um, The reason I'm saying all of that is because I think Christian joy is like that little bird. As long as uh, the chirping is continuing, the miners know that everything is okay, but if that chirping stops, they know they're in danger. In the same way, in the Christian life, if we lose our joy, joy that comes from knowing the Lord, joy that comes from knowing the truth of the gospel and everything that we have in Christ we lose that, and that is a sure warning sign that we are in mortal danger as uh, believers. Maybe that's where you find yourself today, though. You've lost the joy and the blessedness of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be a child of God, and, 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 and rejoicing and reveling in the, the sheer privilege of hearing and believing the gospel. Paul talks about that here in this passage. Verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? Uh, The word is makarios, and commentators go back and forth on how we're to take this word. Some uh, think that it might refer to um, the Galatians' blessing of Paul, while others believe that it refers to the Galatians' own experience of blessing. And I think the ESV takes it in the second sense here, that it refers to the Galatian believers' own experience of blessing. Others, though, they do take it to mean that that the Galatians greeted Paul with blessing, but something has changed, and now they stand opposed to him. They're, They're no longer blessing Paul, 
But if they're no longer blessing Paul, that was because of what Paul was saying. And what Paul was saying was the gospel. And so I return to the question once again, what then has become of your blessedness? What's happened to your joy? In the upper room, Jesus taught his disciples that he wants his joy to be in us and our joy to be full. So one of the reasons the Son of God appeared, one of the reasons the Son of God laid down his life for us on the cross is so that we might know the fullness of joy. Now, as we think about what Paul is saying, I want to say up front, there, there might be some of us here today who need to hear a different message than than this one. Maybe the message that you need to hear today comes from Jesus himself. If you love me, keep my commandments. Or in the words of the apostle Peter, exert every effort, he says. Make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. Peter is saying, you, you need to strive. You need to, you need to work out your salvation, Peter is saying. And maybe, just maybe, that's what some of us need to hear. Because honestly, you're lazy. Uh, you're presumptuous. You're arrogant. You're self-indulgent. That's not the message the Galatians needed to hear. They, they needed to hear a different message. And... I imagine that many of us need to hear this message too. Because a a spiritual and deadly disease has come over some of these Galatian believers. And, And like a good doctor, what Paul does in this passage is he he identifies some of the symptoms, he makes a diagnosis, and then he provides a treatment. And I want us to think about this passage along those lines. The symptoms, the diagnosis, and the treatment. So let's get started with the symptoms. It's there. I'm just going to focus on one. It's there in verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? What has become of the joy when you heard the gospel of grace and embraced the Lord Jesus Christ? Do Do you remember what that was like, my friends? When you heard the gospel and and you believed, and and your sense was that God himself had come to you and was speaking directly to you. Put yourself for a moment in the shoes of these, uh, these Gentile believers. At one point, you didn't know God. At one point, you, you had never heard the gospel. You, you lived in the utter darkness of paganism. Sure, you were very religious. Actually, you had a a God for just about everything. And you spent your entire life trying to slave away in order to appease the gods on the one hand, in order to manipulate them in your favor on, on the other hand. This was your life. You were a slave to idols. And then one day, this guy named Paul shows up and he starts preaching a foreign god. You hear, you hear from Paul that there is, that there is only one true God. He is the living and true God and he has made you, but you have spent your life rebelling against him 
worshiping created things rather than the creator. You're in a pretty bad place. But this same God, the same creator, in the fullness of time, sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, who is God in our flesh. And Paul told you that Jesus has made a way back to God. And to get back to God, you don't have to do a million things first. You don't have to check off a list. You don't have to make a bunch of sacrifices in order to appease him first. No, you simply need to turn from your rebellion and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And in that way, you came to know God. Not just that you came to know God as if Christianity were just one more competing philosophy among a host of competing philosophies. No, you came to know God personally. You came to know him as your father through the Son, by the Spirit. And you came, as Paul describes in this passage, you came to know God and you came to realize that you know Him because He first knew you. Isn't that a wonderful statement from the Apostle Paul? He knew you. He he loved you before you were born, before the foundations of the earth were laid. And so He came to you In his time, through his word, he revealed himself to you when you were living in sin because he knew you. He loved you. So he sent someone to preach the gospel to you. And through the gospel, you receive full pardon and you are adopted as his child. And the initiative was all his. And that message, that gospel, that good news, it filled your heart with joy. The sheer blessing of it all. That God would reveal himself to you through his son. And that was the experience of some of these Gentile believers. When the grace of God came to them through Paul, it filled them with joy. When they heard the truth of the gospel, joy rose up within their hearts. But something, something happened. And that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. Religion, religion had become burdensome. Religion had been turned into a set of rules and regulations. It had become a set of rules to follow. And and with that, the need to achieve more and more and more. And the need to do better and better. And And you started to look at your moral achievements as indicators that you are in a right relationship with God. That you belong. And it's gotten harder and harder and harder each day. Before long, it's not good enough. And all you're left with is is the burden of law, the shame of your own guilt, the shame of your own shortcomings. And as Paul has said earlier in Galatians to us, all the law can do, it can show you no mercy. The law can give you no strength to help you to obey. All it can do is demand. And it locks you in this prison. It's like a treadmill that you can't get off. And my friends, for some people, that's what it's like to live the Christian life. And the joy has gone. And the joy has been replaced with this unrelenting burden of a sense of duty, a sense of obligation, and a sense of failure again and again to meet those obligations. And the weight of it all, it's crushing. So I ask you again the question Paul asks the Galatians, what has become of your blessedness what's happened 
to your joy. I am perplexed about you, Paul says. I'm concerned for you. If you are like anything like the Galatians, then you are like the person who works constantly. You know those people, right? I hope you're not one of them. They wake up at 4 a.m., they go into work at 5. They come home at midnight. They go into work early. They come home late. And even when they come home, they bring their work home with them. And even when they're with their families, their spouse is talking to them and they're glued to their cell phone because they're constantly checking their email and responding to messages. They don't have time for their kids because the demand of work is such that it never lets up. It never stops. And even when they are supposed to be taking a day off or on vacation, who has time for that anymore? They're somewhere else altogether because the work never lets up. My friends, if you are living that way, then you know that that is going to be a life without joy. Let me take this illustration a little bit further. Here's this person, they don't they don't sleep well, they don't eat right, they, they work all day, and eventually they are compelled to go see a doctor because their health is failing. And what does the doctor do? The doctor gives them a list of things they need to do in order to get their life in order. A whole list of things that they need to observe, things they must do and things they must not do in order to get their life back on track. And you realize it's not just a couple of small changes you need to make here and there. It's a total life change that your doctor is calling for. And all you get is further exhaustion and more guilt. And again, for some people, that's what it's like to be a Christian. They think if they're really going to be accepted by God, they need to roll up their sleeves, grit their teeth, and get to work to show that they're worthy, that they belong. And if you are living that way, then I guarantee you that there is no joy. There is this disease that infects some Christians, and the symptom of it Paul identifies here is a lack of a sense of blessing that leads to joy. Instead of, instead of freedom, this letter is all about freedom. Instead of freedom, Christianity is like slavery. Instead of sonship, it's like being in, in bondage. And it sucks all the joy right out of your life. So you've made up this set of rules that you've got to keep. And they're hard rules. They're unrelenting rules that never let up. In the context of Galatia, the Judaizers, the false teachers, they were saying that in order to be justified, in order to be in a right relationship with God, and in order to maintain that right relationship with God, then Christians needed to do certain things. They needed to observe the ceremonial law. They they needed to be circumcised. They needed to keep the food laws to refrain from eating pork and shellfish. They needed to Observe the ceremonial calendar of the Old Testament. Paul mentions in in verse 10, certain days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain, Paul says, as if those observances could in any way establish your right standing with God. What are you thinking? And the sense of blessing has left the church of Galatia. The joy of the gospel And being in a right relationship with God by grace has 
gone. Why? Because there is this deadly disease that has spread throughout the church. And this is the symptom. What has happened to your blessedness? What has happened to your joy? But secondly, the diagnosis. And it's simple. It's not going to surprise you. We've been talking about it. It's legalism. Legalism is the diagnosis. Now, we should say this, this word can be used as an excuse, can it? Some Christians are quick to call anything that requires obedience legalism. But really what's being communicated behind that is, I, I just don't want to be told what to do right now. That's inconvenient for me, and I'd rather do what I want to do rather than obey Jesus. Well, let's be clear about one thing, my friends. Proper moral obedience in the Christian life is not legalism. There, there, is, there is a pattern of life that follows from what God has done for us in the gospel of, of his son. For those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are with Christ, have, have, been, have, have died to sin and been raised to newness of life. And the spirit of Christ, the spirit of sanctification dwells within them with the goal of conforming them to the likeness of Christ. Christ whose great love was for the law of his heavenly father. But, but in Galatia, there was real legalism. The, the requirement of legal demands, the requirement of laws that do not belong, the requirement of laws that God does not require, requirement of laws that have been abrogated, the ceremonial law, the requirement of an idea that in order to maintain a right relationship with God, we need to do something. Sure, justification is by faith. We get right with God by believing in Christ, but then it's up to you. It's up to you to keep this going and to maintain it. The false teachers were very clear about it. If you wanted to be in a right relationship with God, you need to do certain things. You need to be able to check off a list of works because otherwise you can't really be a Christian. That was the message that they were turning to. But my friends, what was being taught in Galatia by by the Judaizers and, and what many people today think is Christianity is in fact not Christianity it's, it's another gospel. It's another form of pagan religion. Why do people reject the gospel? That's a question we sometimes wrestle with, isn't it? Some people, some young people, college students, we say they've rejected the gospel, and sadly for some that's true. But the fact of the matter is, many of them have not rejected the gospel because they've never actually heard the gospel. What they've heard is moralism. What what they've heard is self-help religion. What they've heard is performance-based religion dressed up in the form of Christianity. That's what they've rejected. And dear friends, if, if, if we recognize that, sure, there might be talk of Jesus and the cross and forgiveness and sin and all of that, but at the end of the day, what really matters is you. What really matters is what you do. What really matters is your performance, your own moral efforts. 
That was the message infecting the church of Galatia. And my friends, it is a disease as common today as the common cold. And so if we, want the, if we want the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ to shine brightly and sound forth loudly, then what we need to do is deconstruct legalism. People need to hear that. People, in order to hear the gospel clearly and distinguish it from falsehood, need to hear clear deconstructions of legalistic religion. And my friends, that's what Paul is doing through this entire letter. He is deconstructing legalism with the gospel. People people need to know that what Christianity offers is not one more form of works religion. What we offer to people is not moralism. What we offer to people is not self-help religion. God helps those who help themselves. Paganism is what that is. What we offer is the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to also say what we offer people is not a tradition. I I love the Reformed tradition of which we are a part But let's be very clear about this. If we make adherence to a tradition, a qualification for being a Christian or uh, being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, frankly, God help us. God have mercy upon us. The diagnosis here, it's legalism. And the issue is this. Are we fully and completely accepted by God through faith alone in Christ alone apart from works of the flesh? Or is Christians, uh, the Christian gospel basically this? God comes to you, puts the law in your hands, and says, trust in my son and we'll see how you do. That's not gospel, my friends. And that's not the message that Paul preached. Paul wants us to understand that the gospel is not a performance-based message. It's not about you reaching a certain standard nor is it about you being good enough for God. It's a, it's a message about coming to Jesus without any plea at all. Actually, your only plea is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. The provision of God, of right standing with God in the person of his son through his cross. Some of you here today, you, you're tired. You've, you have shame. You know, you've done all manner of wrong things. You can list off the many ways in your life that you have uniquely gone astray and rebelled against God. You know, the Judaizers, if they were here today, they they would say to you, okay, believe in Jesus and then keep these regulations and then God will accept you. That's not gospel, dear friends. It's not good news for people who know their sins and their weakness, who know if they're honest with themselves that even their best deeds in life are tainted with sin, tainted by bad desires and false motives. Well, what I want to say to you today, beloved, is there is good news. And the good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for people like that. The gospel is for people who have nothing to offer to God to gain his favor. It's for people who don't have any plea but Jesus Christ. And it's for people who have failed and stumbled again and again and again. And it's for people like like you and me, every one of us sitting in the room here today. See, that is the point 
that Paul is trying to get across because they're not getting it or, or they're forgetting it. When Paul was with them, they, they received the gospel, but they've been listening to this other message and they're turning away to legalism. The problem, though, with legalism is that it's all about you. It's all about what you achieve. It's all about your activity and your efforts, what you can demonstrate. It's all about you. So what's the treatment? What's the treatment that Paul gives us in this passage for legalism? Look at verse 19. My little children, you hear, you hear the affection of Paul for these believers. For whom I am again in the anguish of of childbirth, He compares his feeling about the condition, spiritual condition of these Galatian believers to the pain of a woman in childbirth. And he says, that's how I'm going to feel until Christ is formed in you. So what's the treatment? What's the treatment that Paul gives? It's, sure, it might be a Sunday school answer, but it's the right answer. It's Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's treatment is for the problem of legalism. It's not another list of things to do and achieve. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. The treatment is understanding that the answer to the questions of who I am and how God accepts me is that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I live, but... It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And Paul is saying, dear children, I want that to be true of you. I want you to understand that. I want you to get that. I want you to take that truth and, and, and live by it. That the basis of your full and complete acceptance with the Heavenly Father is that you are in Christ by faith. And you are in such union with him that it changes and revolutionizes everything. In Christ you are accepted. In Christ you are an adopted heir. In Christ you are a new creation and dwelt by the spirit of power whose great aim in your life is to make you like Jesus. This is the gospel, and my friends, when, when we get that, then, then the truth of the gospel, it becomes the most, most glorious news we could ever imagine, and it ought to fill our hearts with joy. The sheer blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he has achieved for us in the gospel. Having, having God as our Father and the, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of holiness at work in, in our lives. All of it by faith, apart from works of the flesh. And that truth, dear friends, if, if we understand it, if we take it in, Paul is saying, don't you see how that sets you free? Your, your acceptance with God is not based on your obedience. It's based upon what Christ has done for you. He has secured your relationship with God by his life, death, and resurrection. And, and when you get that, what, what blessedness, what joy, what happiness fills our hearts that Jesus did it. 
And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dear friends, I wonder, do you, do, do you know the joy of making that confession, the happiness that follows from knowing that that's true for you? What a blessing. What a blessing it is to be a Christian and what joy there is for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I, I ask again, what has become of your blessedness? Where's the joy gone? If you've turned to legalism, the message today is simple. Come, come back to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, and we pray that Christ would indeed be formed in us. Thank you for the blessed gospel. Enable us to say with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.